Where'd you go on your honeymoon? We haven't been on it yet. You haven't been on it no. yet? Why not? Because my mother-in-law mother came over. More than that. My mother-in-law, yeah, it has been two years. Mother-in-law came over and stayed with us for like three weeks. That was the honeymoon. <laughs> She's so? brilliant. God, I think you should man up here, Cole. Man up and take really you, uh, take your missus on a <laughs> take Man the up. girl on a honeymoon. <laughs> Easy for me. Living with me is mate. Yeah, she's like, why are you getting up at six a.m. to go to King's Cross? With voila, to... voila. <laughs> <laughs> when you could be planning my honeymoon? Yeah, exactly. There you go. Get your right, priorities well, got, straight, love. Oh, well, for when I finally meet your missus at the, the Innovation Rumble Christmas party, eleventh yes. of December, I've got my chat sorted already. Great, thanks. <laughs> Why isn't he taking you on a honeymoon? <laughs> All right, let's crack on with the rumble. Welcome to the Innovation Ramble our weekly podcasts investigating the world of innovation one subject at a time. Last week we had shoes. This week we have the bicycle. And this is part of a four-part series we're calling Innovation Stories of Everyday Objects. And this week is brought to you by UKTI's event Innovate 2015. I'll be popping down there shortly after this to see the co-founder of MIT Innovation Lab talking about how they create innovation strategies and, and grow their ideas and their businesses. Yeah, it looks, it looks like a fascinating couple of days. I saw Nicola uh, Mendelssohn's going to be there, um, Joe Johnson, brother of Boris. It looks like some fantastic talks on networking, exporting and, and growing UK businesses. So if you're, if you're looking for exporting opportunities or partnerships, get down there. Yeah, that'd be good. But today's subject is the bicycle and... It's been interesting researching the bicycle. I'm, I mean, I'm a Boris biker. I cycle to this podcast on the Boris bike, but I'm not really one of these nerdy fixie bike like obsessives. But the one thing that's really come through for both of us in researching the bicycle is how important timing is. And we're going to look at six different innovations around the bike and how it's evolved and how important just when those innovations came around were. So... Should we look back into the, the dark history of the bike? Yeah, so the birth of the bicycle is a fascinating story that starts really in, in the 1400s, which is when the, okay. little, the little ice age started. And so for 500 years following that, there, there, was, a, there was an ice age basically on, on Earth, and it's called the Little Ice Age, called Considerable Agricultural Distress Across Europe. Um, which was further aggravated by the explosion of Mount Tambora in 1815. It's a little um, South Indonesian island. There was an eruption there, and the um, dust and gas that filled the, the global um, stratosphere dropped temperatures by 0.4 to 0.7 degrees Celsius. Globally, basically created a volcanic winter. Uh, and it's exactly oh what we didn't need at the end of this little ice age. It's just exacerbated it. So that was 1815. And 1816 um, was known as the year without a summer. Okay. Because, of, because all the, the, the sun's rays were blocked. Also known as the summer that never was. Uh, year there was no <laughs> summer. And 1800 and froze to death. These all sound like all, bad, all, bad Hollywood sequels yeah, so and sequels. Pretty, uh, you know, we can just sum it up and say it was a, it was a pretty bad year. Um, the last greatest subsistence crisis in the Western world, and that resulted in uh, crop death, 
um, animal starvation and so hundreds of animals globally were were slaughtered because there just okay. wasn't enough food to feed them um, as a result resulted in a, in a lack of horses and that was one of the primary ways that we used to get about then so it's a transportation crisis as a result of this uh, global issue and necessity being the mother of invention Carl von Drey's a German serial inventor also created the first typewriter and many other things he created the first wooden frame bicycle it didn't have any pedals or cogs uh, it was called the, the hobby horse actually in German it was the um, Laufmaschine the, the running machine because okay. you, you'd sit on it balance like Come a normal bicycle bit, and then you'd run along and he uh, Dreis tried this out on a five mile uh, round trip once that um, went, went really quickly it took him a little more than an hour to do five miles there and back uh, and really was the big bang for horseless transportation so like amazing and like out of adversity came this new innovation um, and given we're talking about timing it's interesting to note that when uh, Drace died it wasn't it wasn't until 50 years after his death we saw the first commercial exploitation of the bicycle actually when uh, a French inventor took the, um, the running machine and it added pedals and cogs and a chain to it so actually Drace was right on it in terms of the being a uh, felt like there was a need for the bicycle because of the, all the horses dying. Um, however, he was 50 years too early, so timing is everything. And I think this is a fascinating story because the running machine, just two wheels and a bit of wood in between that you sit on, that could have been invented like way, way before that. Right? It was everything was added. The wheels been around for a little while at this point. Um, you know, the me mechanics to allow that to be invented was was right there. But it's only when this <laughs> a volcano explodes, creates this like endless winter, and someone thinks, right, well, I've got, I've got a horse. I'm gonna, oh, look at these two wheels. I'm gonna put them together. Oh, that's an incredible story. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, shooting forward considerably into 1888, I mean, you think how unpleasant that running machine must have been. Just like rock hard tyres yeah. cracking into your nuts on a regular basis on cobbledy streets. That must have been like, pretty unpleasant. Wouldn't have done very well on grass. So, a guy called John Boyd Dunlop was watching his son on a tricycle on solid rubber tyres. So, rubber had some give, so it wasn't quite as terrible and he, this, his son was uh, tricycling on cobbled ground not going very fast getting jiggled around wasn't very comfortable so what Dunlop did was wrap the wheels in thin sheets of rubber glued them together so one on top of the other glued them together and then inflated it with like, a football pump nice smart um, and created the first air cushioning system and there was a lovely story where he created two wheels one of which had the the cushioning system on, the other one was just like an old rubber tyre and he rolled them across the yard and the one with the rubber tyre just ran and ran and ran and hit the wall on the other side of the yard and came back and it was this, can you imagine that eureka moment for him just to see the, comp like the complete demonstration of the power of his invention right in front of him. And so this was went on to be massively successful, turned into Dunlop tyres and all the spin-off rubber products that they did, but interestingly Robert William Thompson in 1845, some 40-ish years before, patent number 10990 was the, uh, was the aerial wheel, which was exactly the same thing. Same science, same principle. But this was just the, it was, the bikes had just come onto the market. There was no cars, so it was low demand, really expensive. 
Um, and as a result, Robert William Thompson, who invented the air tyre, didn't make it into the history books, made it on the Wikipedia, and somewhere mm. I found him. But it was Dunlop who who made it, who, who came through and was the, the person we all remember. So you're spot on timing everything there. You know, Robert William Thompson, apart from Wikipedia and being mentioned in this podcast, you know, his, uh, <laughs> his name's been consigned to uh, you know the history books. Bringing things into the modern day, in the late 90s, a couple of brothers, the Hergesheimer brothers from Canada, um, Chris Hergesheimer was uh, visiting a lot of local markets in, Calif- in nice Canada. Life. Nice life. <sighs> so, the Hergesheimer brothers, Those guys. late 1990s in Canada, they were visiting a lot of local markets, so kind of organic um, farmers markets in Canada, and and Chris Hergesheim was spending years milling grain by hand in order to create lots of different breads. He loved his baked products, right. um, and he said he developed a jumbo right arm because he's milling all this stuff by hand, like really quite painful going. And so he realised that there has to be a better way, uh, and he wanted to find a bit of technology that was going to help him, um, you know, mill this grain a bit quicker. And so he thought about the bicycle. And okay. As I understand it, as we all kind of know, bikes are a pretty efficient way of using energy. Yeah, because with a bike, your whole body weight is above your most powerful muscle mass, which is your legs. And obviously, with a, when you pedal, you pedal downwards. So there's everything in your favour, and hence why bikes. Uh, you know, you can t- travel three or four times faster than walking, um, with you know a fraction of the uh, the energy. Which is why the Hergesheimer brothers turned to to buy uh, to the bicycle in order to speed things up, and they created a prototype. So they went and they found uh, an exercise bike, and they stripped it back a bit. Um, they added a, a chain and sprockets connecting a small mill to the frame, and then equipped it with uh, a kind of seat paddles and a, and a pedals and a handlebar. Um, they found the exercise bike at a thrift shop, and then um, they created a flywheel to to spin the grain to to, to mill the grain. Um, and they then took that on tour around 100 different um, schools in, in Canada and they went back to the farmers markets and kind of showed this tool. And really it was just to save them a little bit of time um, in order to make their bread. They were introduced in the in the late 90s to a chap called William Pioth, who was uh, like a longtime friend. He met them through their dad, who was a pastor at, uh, at a church. And um, William was from a South Sudanese village, a village called um, Pan Lang. And he instantly saw there was an opportunity to to change the fortunes and the economy of these South Sudanese villages um, by using this tool because um, the women um, in this village would spend hours a day pounding grain in order to make the local porridge, which is called um, a cedar. It was so time-consuming that girls and women seldom, seldom had time for education or... Um, or um, you know economic endeavour, yeah. and so so they w- they went out together to South Sudanese village, um, and they created a second prototype. They didn't want to take the exercise bike out with them. These brothers, they wanted to um, create a second prototype that that the villagers could rebuild themselves. So they went oh, to a okay. local school, yeah, yeah, nice. um, and they they challenged the students at the school to find um, um, bits of um, technology and, and metal. And so they basically stripped back a couple of desks. They made this rudimentary bike out of it, they attach the grain, and the women now can um, mill the grain in one hour when it was previously taking them all day. So not only are they milling the flour 
and the grain for uh, their family, but there's also a little bit on the side that they can sell. So they're also supporting kind of you know microeconomic growth um, in in those villages. And um, you know what it, you can produce, they can produce one kilo of wheat flour in seven to nine minutes, <laughs> which was previously taking them like three hours. So um, really visionary community support from um, from these two guys and it was absolutely something that they weren't anticipating so an unintended consequence uh, that came out of this uh, that ties very nicely into another unintended consequence story that in 20 2003, a guy called Dr. Jay Albert, who is a neuroscientist, much, much like us, uh, from the Center of Neurological Restoration at University of Cleveland. And he had a patient called Kathy, and she was uh, suffering from Parkinson's. So they decided to do like a ride across Iowa, which I don't know how big Iowa is, I guess it's a decent, decent distance. Yep. And so Kathy and her husband rode a tandem bike. But the husband forgot that Kathy was on the back, so he just kind of got off this bike and they just keeled over and she like hit the floor with Parkinson's and apparently it was like divorce court looming. So Dr. Albert said, Oh look Kathy, why don't I'm a more experienced cyclist, look like why don't we go together for the day? And then they stuck together for the week. And at the end of the ride she got off the bike, she's like, I don't have Parkinson's anymore. Like she had more free movement of her arms, like move her head round. Um and what had happened is that uh, Dr. Albert had would pedal at like 80 to 90 RPM, that was just what he was comfortable with, which forced Kathy to pedal at a far higher rate than she normally would. Um, and she, she ended up writing out a birthday card to someone on the trip and she just hadn't been able to write for years. So it just completely changed the, the, her brain function. So he went away and did a small trial with 10 patients, the, the sort of 35% improvement in their, the, uh, their suffering of Parkinson's. And now he's, uh, he's, I think he's four years into a five year trial with 100 patients. But um, you know, now Kathy like has full motor function in her arms and her head. And she said her doctor said that um, if she'd come in now, he wouldn't have he wouldn't diagnose her with Parkinson's, which is incredible. And the theory is is that when you repeat an action regularly and quickly, it sends lots of information to the brain. It's the same neural pathways getting you know the same information going over and over again. And apparently that increases proteins, which are the kind of you know, the building blocks of. Um, memory around movement itself so they're not sure whether it's uh, cycling specifically but it certainly would appear that um, if you're suffering from Parkinson's if you cycle out at a really really high rate far higher than what you normally would then it actually can create um, like some kind of recovery so it's unintended consequences. Absolutely, it? I was going to say it's epigenetics again. It's our behaviour, our thinking, our thoughts affecting how we are physically, and absolutely an unintended consequence. Uh, which leads very nicely into a genuinely intended consequence, which is a blaze laser light, um, a bicycle light invented by Emily Brooke, who was a, a product design student at the University of Oxford, I think, and she was inspired to do something because of the increasing number of deaths on, on London's roads, uh, uh, the deaths of cyclists. So, you know, 
following the 2012 Olympics in London where GB won loads of medals in cycling. Cycling's kind of gone through the roost. There's loads more bikes on the roads in London and sadly loads more deaths. I think since January 2009 there have been 84 deaths on the roads. Um, and 27 um, of the 33 women that have died have been at the hands of lorries. There's been suggestions in the press that kind of lorry deaths for female cyclists is, is kind of sexist. There just seems to be a disproportionately high number of right. women who die under lorries, normally when the lorries are, are kind of turning left. And 79% um, of cycling incidents are where vehicles are manoeuvring in front of cyclists. And so um, Emily was inspired to create something that gave... Uh, lorries and buses earlier warning of, cy of, of cyclists and so what she created was uh, a laser light that you plug onto your bike it looks just like any kind of standard cycling light but it throws forward seven meters a green image of a bicycle uh, so it's seven meters in front of of your bike and that's led to an, an increase of um, a measurable increase in the number of bus drivers and the number of lorry drivers that kind of have advance warning of a cyclist being there um, and um, those stats so uh, bus drivers who seeing this um, their visibility increased from before this light from 72 to 96 percent of, of bus drivers seeing this um, image and 83 percent of, of lorry drivers seeing this up from 76 so this this technology is actually allowing those drivers to uh, be aware of cyclists um, and as a result of the, that stats and, the, and that survey, it's, it's being rolled out, I think, across 250 Boris bikes. So the technology works. Really? Yeah, the technology works. Bikes. It's going to be all over the Boris bikes and hopefully um, reducing the number of deaths, uh, not least um, women at the hands of lorries and bus drivers. I've seen this firsthand. I was walking up from our office on Worship Street through Shoreditch and, and there was just this green thing everywhere. It, it was really erratic, obviously, because... It will respond to every shake in the handlebar, and like, and then when it settled down, you could see it was a bike, but you could not miss it. And there was there was tons of pedestrians, and because a lot of cyclists cross at a pedestrian, you know, there's four different tra lanes of traffic. You would not have missed this in a million years. So mm. that's that's a cracker, that is. And then finally, for me, is the the Copenhagen wheel. Christina found this one. It's really nice, kind of similar in a way, but. In Copenhagen, 41% of all rides uh, to work and education are on a bike. Um, but some people aren't that fit. Some people don't want to arrive at the office all sweaty. Sometimes people actually live further away than they would want to cycle. Um, so this is a, a wheel that sits within your back wheel. It's, it's very slim. It's like the size of two dinner plates that kind of clip onto your back wheel. And it's got a motor inside. It's got batteries, senseless and wireless that I'll, I'll come onto. But it, it actually multiplies pedal power. So it's kind of like an electronic bike, but actually it's just this one wheel. And what it does, it captures energy. So when you brake, it stores that energy up. If you go downhill, it stores that energy up. And it gives you between, I think like three and 10 times the foot power. But cool, it actually also shares data with other cyclists. And it's got an open API for the app that goes with it. So if developers want to develop some other kind of use of that data and so what they're thinking in the future is that it will be fed into local government data so if you're riding over a road and you hit a bump and then a hundred other cyclists hit that bump then that data goes up into the cloud and then someone will go all oh, right actually that this is where the roads actually need to be redeveloped um, 
but the story is this was developed by MIT and they were trying to solve uh, traffic problems in fast growing cities and they came up with a whole bunch of different solutions lots of cool interesting tech you know based on lots of different types of data but actually they realized that the best thing to do is to make a bike more like a car so actually having this Copenhagen wheel that can make you travel further or not have to pedal as hard actually reduces the thing. You don't need to be that fit. You don't need to um, live within a certain distance because your bikes become more like a car as opposed to trying to get rid of both of those things. Um, so they're working with the Copenhagen city planners um, and there's obviously this kind of consumer market potential, but it comes at an $800 price tag. And they're basically saying, you want to chain your bike up. You really want to chain your bike up for that kind of stuff. So all of these stories have, all these stories have got um, an, an element of timing in them. Yeah. And what we found is that uh, there are three things that you need to tick off on your innovation checklist if, if, if your idea is really going to work. And they are, you need to have a bit of tech, so the science needs to be sorted. Obviously, you need to have a great creative idea. You also need to have the commercial aspect ticked off as well. There needs to be opportunity, commercial opportunity for the idea to launch. So if you look at that in the context of the Copenhagen wheel, the science is definitely there. Great imagination around like you know, making a bike more like a car. But commercially, is there an opportunity? Are people really going to want to spend 700 quid on a wheel when they could buy like a pretty amazing bike in its own right for 700 quid? And it was exactly the same thing with the uh, Drazian running machine, the kind of invention of the bike. You know, it actually commercial opportunity took off 50 years after uh, Drazian had died because it wasn't quite there. So just because an idea makes sense doesn't mean it's going to necessarily make money. Um, so you might argue, well, why, why should I do it? Maybe I should wait. Well. We don't, we don't believe that's right. You should you know, crack on, use the time, use the inspiration before it expires and, and actually make the thing that you're thinking of, even if the timing doesn't feel right, because you might get some good stuff out of it. Yeah, so there's a lot to be said for building something, learning from it, and maybe even putting it on the shelf until the commercial opportunity does arrive. It doesn't need to be a success the first time round for it to work. You know, look at the tire. Um, that was the, the the air tire was invented 50 years before bikes, bikes, and certainly cars were starting to become commonplace. The timing wasn't right, but the tech was right. The imagination was right, but. With the examples, uh, you know, of the the, the flower peddler, um, and you know, with other examples, we've seen that um, the action has unlocked unintended consequences. So you may be trying to innovate in a certain area that might not solve your problem, but actually it might solve someone else's problem. So as we said last week, it's about relationships, it's about building your network because you never know when your solution is gonna match someone else's problem and vice versa. So uh, we've learned loads from the, yep. the bicycle this week. That's Absolutely brilliant. loads. And the whole point about unintended consequences, you just don't know what you're gonna get out of it. So I think the the, the, the takeaway here is whether you've got innovation in your job title or whether it's something you aspire to, just crack on and do it. So massive thanks to Circe's for accommodating us again. Indeed. Uh, thanks to James Harrison for our photography, Lucky Elephant for our music. Christina Lai for superb input this week. Yeah, it was uh, great to see Christina at FT Innovate tearing up the room, networking style. It's a pretty formidable force, man, I'll tell you. And thanks to... James um, Mitchell on the app, your brother. 
Yeah, my, my Douglas Cole and Weaveware who are putting a, have created a smartphone app, just a um, smartwatch, smartwatch app, Come Moto, on. Moto, big Moto 360 at the moment, but um, we'll, we'll, we'll be sharing we're the gonna, APK when that's ready to go. Yeah, we're going to be dropping some serious tech in the new year, it's going to be fantastic. Thanks to uh, Nesta and Innovate UK, the UKTI event that um, was being sponsored, sponsored today. Yeah, today, thanks very much. And I think that's it for shout out, isn't it? James Mitchell, yeah, yeah, we've done, we've done everyone, I think. Yeah, yeah, probably a shout out for Mr. Charlie Cadbury. He's uh, been Ooh, working uh, on yeah, something quite strong yeah. that we we probably keep our powder dry on this. We'll keep let you know next week. But, um, yeah, exciting day out for the ramble. Yeah, um, and our next episode will be on cars. Which is perfect, given we talked about the bicycle coming more like a car. There's a beautiful yeah, link into yeah. the car there. Huge amount of innovation there. So we'll record that on Friday, maybe release it on Monday, see how it goes. Something like that. See you later. Thanks. Um, and then, um, and then wanted to find a way to to mill. This is absolute shite, monkey. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>